Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 539 on Tuesday, the 22nd of August, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in the news, we'll be repeatedly discussing poor technology. In new new car news, we examine one car whose name has confused many at the weekend. And in points of interest, we recommend one article that advises you to be a decent human being. But first, we start with follow-up, and we have several bits of follow-up, so strap in, everyone. This is a packed show. Stop smirking as you say it, would you? It's nice, because before last week, we had three weeks of, is there any news at all? Three weeks of dredging the news desert. Yes. Last week, I was sent this article on the BBC News website that is titled, Wales's 20 mile an hour speed limit will slow police response leaked email. Okay, so this is all to do with the new 20 mile an hour that will be mandated for urban areas across the country of Wales coming up soon. This is a result of the Conservatives sending in a freedom of information request to find out if the new limit will affect uh, emergency services to deal with whatever it is they're supposed to be dealing with. This has then had uh, one sentence or one word plucked that said it would influence it. Um, However, the Labour government and the emergency services themselves say, no, the 20 mile an hour speed limit is not going to affect us to do our job and to serve the community Mm. uh, and all the rest of it. And you sort of go, this was... I know we t- we've we've talked about not bringing in the political football, but oh my, this is very much that. But a, a simple question of, are any other places in the UK that have a 20 mile an hour zone affected or affect the police and the fire and the ambulance to do their job? And the answer is no. no. So why would it be different here? I, I don't know. This is a very difficult one for us to cover without making it pitching political party against each other in the actual coverage, because that's kind of exactly what it is with sort of motoring court in the middle, like some kind of 20 mile an hour football. Yes. But there's mm. no need to panic. The emergency services say it'll be fine. We can still do what we need to do. Excellent. Talking of stuff that can't do what it wants to, though, Alan. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much the link I was going to use. The other week, we talked about how Waymo and Cruise had been allowed by the state of California to increase their uh, fleets of autonomous testing vehicles that are sort of floating around uh, the place. And the coverage area. And the coverage area in which it was al- in which they were allowed to they were allowed to act and they were allowed to run around and practice. Turns out <laughs> that uh, Cruise <laughs> It's not been going so well, really. Like it wasn't before the permission was given. I know. So it turns out that it was the California Department of Motor Vehicles that gave the permission. Uh, However, many of them run within the city of San Francisco and have continued to cause chaos. There was a crash last Thursday night in which a cruise Chevy Volt uh, ran into a fire engine. And that has caused uh, the city of San Francisco to tell Cruise to reduce its robo-taxi fleet by 50% uh, with immediate effect, whilst there is an investigation into what happened and how to stop it happening again. The California DMV also stepped in and made that request as well. Because mm-hmm. there was a person in the car, because it was being used as a taxi, 
person in the car who got taken to hospital with no serious injuries. They were released later just to round that bit out. Mm. But it really wasn't a great week for crews at all. For example, they got the permission that they could Mm -hmm. expand to cover all of San Francisco and increase the number of cars they were allowed in the daytime and in the nighttime, because that was very constrained. Then what happened Tuesday? Crews drove into wet concrete. On Wednesday, crews drove on the wrong side of the street in a construction zone. And then San Francisco asked regulators to halt the expansion. On Thursday, crews hits the fire truck. On Friday, the DMV says to crews, you need to reduce your fleet, please. And then on Saturday, crew or late Friday, crews agreed to cut it back. I will also have a link in the show notes to a Twitter thread from Jack Stilgo, who is a UK AI expert. And in it, he explains why reducing uh, the number of entities taking part in testing actually hurts disproportionately to the number. Uh, To explain how being reduced from 150, which is what they've been given permission to do at night, down to 75 will actually have a huge impact on crews and how they do things. Mm-hmm. By the way, Waymo got into an accident as well, but that was kept very much in quiet uh, in the same time. It was slightly overshadowed, I think. Yes. It, well, it didn't involve a person uh, being mm-hmm. injured, but there was a, a traffic incident. It does seem to, when you see the little videos appearing on the internet of like three autonomous vehicles blocking up a junction because one of them has confused itself and then that confuses the others. It does seem to be disproportionately cruise cars that are doing it. Yeah, they're they're repeatedly shown to be worse at it Mm. than Waymo, but Waymo has their own problems. Yes, yeah, it's just different ones. Yeah. Second last piece of follow-up. Goodness, we're not even through follow-up yet. Uh, Tesla, Andrew. Yes. Back in May, we discussed the huge data breach Uh, at Tesla in Germany, where uh, 100 gigabytes of information was taken from Tesla servers, which included personal identifiable information of employees, ex-employees and customers, let alone other stuff connected with the business suppliers, all that. You know, if you're taking 100 gigabytes, you're taking a lot of info. Mm. Tesla are now suing two ex-employees for leaking the data to the German uh, media outlet Handelsblatt, which didn't use any of that info, one, because they said they wouldn't, but two, because they then admitted it would be very legal for us to do that. Uh, But Tesla is saying it's an inside job. I think, putting work hat on, I think Mm. this is an attempt to sidestep responsibility or too much blame for this by saying, oh, insider threat. Mm. But it should raise, and if anyone is ever speaking to Tesla about this this matter, it raises one immediate question, which will tell you everything you need to know about their security culture mm-hmm. and the, the way they approach these things, is why did a service engineer have access to all that information at all? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, that's the big bit. And that's the starting point, and that's where the regulators will, will look at, hopefully, mm-hmm. and they will pursue that because... Yes, the two individuals, if they did do this, they need uh, there should be there should be legal ramifications for that. Preferably, the police involved because they have stolen stuff. Uh, let alone they've broken Tesla's T's and C's. <laughs> yeah, which is what Tesla are suing them for breaking their T's and C's. Mm-hmm. But the real 
issue there is the the culture and the attitude to the security and safety of data and information in the business. And if you were a Tesla owner and affected by the breach, then you should be being offered free use of one of the um, identity theft protection services. From Experian. So, <laughs> case catalog, you mean? From Experian, which is the one that got the, one that got the, one the, that hu- got, yes the hugest no. hack ever in history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't make it up. Yes, good luck, uh, everyone. But take us to some, uh, some more feedback. Well, we got literally one email last week uh, about this story from the DVLA, and it was from a Mrs. Evans of South Wales, and she very politely uh, pointed out to us that, well, she pointed out that there was an inaccuracy in what we said. I'm not entirely, there was a bit of an inaccuracy, but not quite the level that was pointed out. And it was about vehicle tax reminder letters. We were pointed towards, uh, I should explain, by the way, that, that Miss Evans is actually from the DVLA PR department. So it was yes. official from the DVLA. Pointed us to a part in the DVLA service update, uh, the link will be in the show notes, about vehicle tax reminder letters or the V11 letters. And it says, all V11 reminders have been dispatched from DVLA as they always are and without any delays. However, we are investigating with our mailing providers reports of customers not receiving this. That said, and then it goes on to point out that it's still our responsibility to make sure that the DVLA has done their job right. Because what, what, we, what we said last week was that there's confusion whether reminders were still being sent out or whether there was a new system that opted us all out initially and we had to go in and opt in and all the rest of it. But um, um, Ms. Evans makes it clear that you are opted in by default and you have to yes. actually opt out. So you will get a paper reminder unless you go in and say, please don't send me a paper reminder. Yeah, please send me an email one instead. So yeah. it is an opt-out. Everything should still be being sent. Yeah. Thank you very much for getting in touch with us to help clarify the confusion that was out there. Mm, much appreciated. New news. New, new Tesla news. Yay! Yes, there is more deposition information to do with yet another civil dispute that Tesla is in, this time to do with the family of Jeremy Banner, who was killed in 2019 when his Tesla Model 3 uh, collided with a tractor trailer in cross-traffic, so it's a lorry, Mm. in cross-traffic. They are using the deposition of two autopilot engineers who said that Tesla executives knew that this was a big problem, that the autopilot software could not detect, let alone then do anything about cross-traffic, such as a lorry going in front of it. Mm. This is very similar to the uh, incident which killed uh, Joshua Brown back in 2016 in his Model S. Yes. And the engineers are saying that they knew, the Tesla executive knew this from back then and did nothing to fix it. Yeah. Which is going to interest all the official organizations and government departments that are investigating Tesla for many, many, many issues to do with mm. autopilot software detection, over-egging and hyping what their technology can do. Yes. We promise that's the last Tesla story this week. Yes, thankfully. Uh, what we do have, though, is some Ford news. Ford. Managing Director Lisa Brankin has taken over the additional role of chairing its UK operations. 
that puts her in charge of overseeing all of the facilities and investment, continuing to run UK and Irish sales and services business. Uh, she succeeds Tim Slatter, who has been promoted to a global US-based Ford role, as yet unrevealed uh, mm-hmm. in, in, this, in this particular article. She's been Managing Director of Ford of Britain and Ireland uh, since November 2020. She's worked her way up since joining Ford in 1990 as a graduate trainee. So that's good. So good luck. Yep. Congratulations. I'm going to take us to JLR. And this is the news that they plan to recruit 300 technicians for their push for the new Range Rover production uh, and also the future EV development. This is all part of the 15 billion five-year investment that Tata are making in JLR. Um, and this is split across Gaydon, uh, Whitley, and Solihull facilities. In Solihull, there's going to be a hundred of these. Will be maintenance technicians that will look after roughly seven hundred, seven hundred uh, automated mechanical devices, robots, at their brand new hundred and thirty <laughs> million automated body production facility. Um, that this new body shop is expected to increase Range Rover and Range Rover Sport production by 30%, as long as they can get those mm. chips. Those same technicians will also be trained to work in the body production system that's going to make the EV version of the new Range Rover. Mm. It's £15 billion pounds over five years. Mm. And we were debating this before the show, um, and we're saying, well, what is that? Is that just to update the world, or is that to help develop new vehicles i think in the end we decided it was probably to develop new vehicles as well by the time it was 130 million spent on solly hull 70 million for a new body production system for the ev uh, range rover and then some other bits and pieces uh yeah as uh, solly hull wolverhampton and hailwood are all going to be transformed to produce electric vehicles as well but that still leaves a good few billion for the development of an entirely new range of Jaguar as well. Well, it's the whole new range of Jaguar, and then it's electrifying the Range Rover brand and the Discovery brand. The what? And the Defender brand? Yes. I I really should draw that little tree, because it's worse than Mini now. (laughs) Because you get the Defender Defender. Yes. And you get the Range Rover Range Rover, much like uh, every... Almost every every month we have the Mini Mini uh, appears in the... Well, the Discovery Discovery. Registration. And there's the Discovery Discovery and the Discovery Discovery Sport that everybody's forgotten about. Anyway, move swiftly on, because I've debated that and discussed that in the past. Yeah. Lots and lots of investment, I think, is the important part there. And it's investment spread around the country. Uh, and yes, good. Get on with it. Sell cars. Employ yes. people. Bring in money. Yay. Okay, do you want to swap out some batteries then for us? I will do. Iveco, commercial vehicle manufacturer Iveco, has uh, unveiled a new system for its electric daily vehicles, and it's battery swaps. Now, battery swaps aren't new news. NEO, for example, Chinese electric car maker, is, is most closely associated with battery swap technology right at the moment. But that's not quite what Iveco mean. Uh, really, the e-daily comes with a selection of battery sizes. There's three different ones at the minute. A 37, 74, and 111 kilowatt hours, giving ranges 
calculated range is somewhere between 74 and 217 miles, depending on battery, depending on body style, blah, 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 blah. What it's really saying is, okay, you buy your van, you know at that, generally, a commercial vehicle operations know how many miles range they need from vehicles. They know how far they're going to go every day. They know what their duty cycles are. And they purchase according to that, not just on the one trip to see Auntie Susan in uh, Auntie Susan in, in Northumbria once a year, yeah. uh, which is how most of the rest of us <laughs> tend to purchase our vehicles based on range, okay? So they know all of that, and there's, there's, there's no gut feel comes into it. No. But then things change. You know, contracts might change, they might need to sell to, to change slightly what they're doing um, and these kind of things. What Iveco are making it possible to do is to easily swap between the different battery sizes. So to either downgrade or upgrade as is appropriate for your business and the type of work you're doing. And that's cheaper than buying a new van. Yep. Not only that, it can increase the duty cycle on all of these electric vans. So you're so sure they're more expensive up front. But you can adapt them as you need uh, over time, as new technologies, longer ranges come in. If you need them, then you can actually change the battery to accommodate that. So it's a modular setup. It does need, according to this Autocar article, you do need to kind of go to your Iveco uh, dealer uh, or, or workshop to get the work done. It's not going to happen in a, in, in, in a magic building. No, but it like Neos does. It's there and it's possible, and I think it's very, very interesting uh, how they're they're doing this and that they're making this available, openly making this available, as opposed to you can just come back and play with it. Yeah, I feel this ties in so much with the circular economy, mm. and also with what Stellantis have been saying recently that cars should have a life of at least fifteen years. We've got mm-hmm. the technology. We've got the ability to do that. We've got the capability of of um, freshening them up. Toyota do that re-engineering where they basically take an older car and you know make the bits that need to be completely replaced. Mm. They're replaced, but freshen up the interiors and stuff like that. So this is all part of that, which means we don't need. A, I mean, this is the balancing act. We don't need to be purchasing as often. So how do companies get around that? But then we are making use of things for longer. It's worth saying that even as it is, uh, Iveco offers a 155,000 mile and eight-year warranty on its batteries uh, as it is, uh, and it guarantees performance level of 80% across that time, uh, regardless of how often it's charged or discharged or whatever. There's already one heck of a warranty on the battery cells mm. uh, and the battery packs. A new cell pack is around £15,000 if it's needed, uh, plus the labour cost to actually do the swap. But of course, the battery that comes out has a value as well. Mm. You're never going to be paying the full 15000 yeah. uh, on the battery unless something terrible, terrible, terrible has happened. Because you can still recover the rare earth minerals and all that kind of stuff and recycle those into new to new batteries and it's it worth more than digging them out the ground. But also we've we're finding that they're excellent as storage solutions for residential yep. and businesses as well. Exactly. They have a it is mm. amazing 
how far we've come with this technology in a relatively short space of time and the ability yes. we have to use it in multiple environments and for different purposes. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's something that will continue uh, as we, we go down this. We will continue to be find in, you know, people deploying them in really interesting places, doing things you would not have, we would normally have had a diesel generator doing or something like that. Oh, exactly. You're starting to see it already, by the way. Mm. Uh, when people go camping and stuff, they're, they're now, you can buy lithium-ion battery packs from companies, and, and people use that instead of a generator for powering whatever they need when they're, they're out and about, whenever they're off-grid. Mm -hmm. So powering lights and TVs and all sorts of stuff, mini-fridges, that kind of thing. And then Overnight, they they or during the day, they when they're not really being used, they just leave them with solar panels out to recharge them. So that kind of thing is already making its way into into certain aspects of life, the universe, and everything. Really. Mm. No, anyway, fascinating. We spoke about Neo. Yes, uh, we mentioned Neo just there. Do you want to tell us about Neo and and their UK launch? Yes, it's going to be delayed. Neo, they are. As Alan has said in the last piece, they are famous for their battery swap and how they can do it regularly, although that isn't what they recommend as the primary way of doing it, although some customers do, mm. of recharging their vehicles. But they were due to come into the UK next year. However, they are just pausing that slightly because they've had, they've basically been able to experiment and learn lessons from going into certain European markets. And one of the things they realized was having the infrastructure in place was really key. Mm -hmm. Yes, quite. If you're, if you're advertising a battery swap thing, you do need to, the ability to battery swap. But yes. I think what they're trying to say is that they want to have sufficient numbers so that it, and on routes that they anticipate people will use them initially if they need battery swaps. So that's going to be main motorways, that sort of thing. They're going to be close mm. to those. That they have enough in place to deal with the numbers of expected customers. Um, they also are trying to uh, reach agreements with service centers and partners on that front as well. I still think this is an interesting way of doing it. I'm, I still ha I'm not sure yet whether it's the future for personal transport. Mm. I can see it on something like, say, a moped doing the battery swap is a if you're doing deliveries, I can see that. I, I think it's the old, do you try and charge it like you do a normal EV, but on longer journeys? It's your backup. Or, or for particular purposes, it's, it's your backup. And you can, mm. it means you know that you can just in swap and out within 10 or 15 minutes. But as ranges increase, that's less of a, I don't know. Maybe it's because yeah. I'm middle aged and need 15 minutes to go for a wee and grab a coffee anyway. But. Yeah. But I'm delighted that there's this alternative option. Yes, as absolutely. We've discussed, as we've discussed on the show many times, the, the, the solutionism is not the future. Please. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely that. Right. I, I think we've dragged ourselves to the end of the first part there, Alan. Have we? Finally made it there. Well, you say finally. It's not our fault. It's, there is a lot of news to discuss. There is. And even then, we've still had to cull some out. But yes, yeah. folks, we have reached guilt minute. Quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running. If you feel that Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, 
from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand that you can help us by following for free from our podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you everyone who does. We know you do. Yes, so it's appreciated every single time. New new car news, Alan, and you're up first. Uh, what's first in new new car news? Yes, it is the boy. It's the Mahindra Thar.e concept. It is, according to Watercar, a radical EV 4x4 tipped for UK launch. Indian firm's rugged electric Jeep Wrangler rival tops range of SUVs in line for European launch. I don't know where to go with this one. I don't have... Well, I think the renders, it looks funky in the renders. It looks funky. The slightly blurry dynamic renders look very, very funky. It is a Jeep stroke land cruiser stroke defender thing with square led drls and some red highlighting and sticky outy arches i'm just unconvinced okay well let's we've got an example of a country that has entered the european market recently and in china mm and we've seen how hard and how sceptical many journalists are, but how hard it is for them to enter this market. I think, mm. personally, we've got it all wrong and they're actually going to succeed. It is going to be so much harder for Mahindra to yes. conquer any preconceived ideas or any bias. Yes, because Mahindra have launched vehicles here before, although so would BYD vehicles here before and their overwhelming feature was their ability to disassemble themselves i think and that kind of thing is is hard to forget really mm. the other thing is that obviously the any any indian ev companies uh, trying to come here aren't competing against uh, they aren't competing against European manufacturers. They're competing against Chinese manufacturers. And the Chinese will crush them. We've got a head start. We've got a fantastic head start. They've got, yeah, got a head start in many different ways. Build quality just being one of them. And I'm sorry, I sound like a broken record on this, but I, I have... Um, Anyone would think you have personal experience, Alan? From previous experience of trying to get parts made to decent quality in India compared to the breeze of getting parts made to decent quality uh, from Chinese suppliers. Yeah. Sorry. I know China can do quality. I've yet to ever see it from, from India. And, and I, as ever on these things, I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah, I really absolutely. would. As, as we always say, we want more options. We want more we do. diversity of models, car companies, all the rest of it. So it would be awesome if they could succeed at this. Mm -hmm. But our belief that they will is not high. Uh, the Thar.e is going to be a range-topping vehicle. There are also going to be BEO5, BEO7, and BEO9, uh, from smaller to larger, coming across on the Inglow 
platform. I should say, by the way, the engineering is probably going to be pretty decent. Uh, they do have an engineering center in Banbury as well, uh, Advanced Design Engineering Center in, in, in Banbury. So it should be good. It should handle well if it's, if it's able to. I think I know what I was saying there. I'm going to take us to a car that we do believe will come out, and that's the Fisker Alaska, which is a, uh, for, well, for the US, small pickup. <laughs> uh, so it's not one of these uh, heavy-duty trucks, as they call them over there. Mm. This is due to be launched in 2025 with a 230 to 340-mile range, depending on the battery pack and motor that it's mated up to. Uh, the price will be, and I'll allow our US correspondent to come in and, and explain that in just a second, but the price will be from $45,400. Please remember that that is not an on-the-road price. On top of that, you still have to add tax and, at the very minimum, tax and registration as well. That's going to add another, let's say, $2,000 for the registration. And then a percentage. Here it would be six and a quarter percent on top of that for, for tax, uh, depending on your state. Remember, US car prices are not the price you pay, as is nearly everything over here. Mm-hmm. Again, there will be silly 0 to 62 times, but also there will be a slower version uh, of 7.2, which seems far more sensible and is obviously aimed at more range than speed. If you need an electric pickup, then this one feels like it might actually make it to the roads, unlike others. Yes. Uh, inside, the, Ala- the Alaska has a wooden trim on the dashboard, which has been treated to feel like fabric. The back seats include a cowboy hat holder, and the car has a California window-dropping mode, as on the ocean. Fisker also claimed the Alaska features the world's largest cup holder, plus storage for work gloves, flashlights, and pens with a tablet holder and a large central armrest. The cup holder, by the way, is for those sort of buckets of water or juice or whatever that Americans seem to need. I, I don't know. I think everybody goes, oh, Americans are, uh, you know, Americans are overweight. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think they've just developed an abnormally large bladder for so when they're, they're water transport devices. They are mostly water transport device. If you believe the volume in which they buy liquids, which is, is beyond me. Absolutely. Well, it's in ounces rather than milliliters, which always gives it away to me. <laughs> Don't even go there. Yeah, we're going to measure it by weight. Ugh. Only worse when Fahrenheit is involved. More from America. Uh, uh, Ford has unveiled the Ford Mustang GTD. No, everyone, it is not diesel powered. Uh, it is to meet, it's a homologation special to meet the GTD regulations. In uh, IMSA, isn't it? I've forgotten what the racing is. IMSA, yes, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's the, the US equivalent of um, world endurance. Yes, so it's it's for endurance racing. It will be built in limited numbers, obviously to meet the homologation rules, and it will be priced from around $300,000 plus blah, 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 as previously <laughs> described. And I think it looks... It looks amazing. It is not a pretty car, obviously, because it's a race car, so there's swoopy bits and a ridiculous wing and it's brutal it looks brutal it has phenomenal presence even just from the photos and the pictures of the the the, the suspension components and all that just look gorgeous beautiful beautiful engineering yeah um but yeah it's it's a brutal rough looking thing 
I look forward to some some of the people that we follow being the very few who get behind the wheel of one of these and tell us how ace it is. Yes, because Autogar understands the UK will receive an allocation, but numbers and pricing remain to be confirmed at this stage. And it also says that the GTD is said to have been conceived after hours by a handful of engineers in an, in an anonymous storage garage at Ford's Michigan headquarters with the aim of creating a Mustang to take on the best European sports cars, he says. That's the same as what happened with the GT, wasn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. So what we need to do then is basically corral sm- many small teams, mm. sort of kidnap them in the Michigan thing and put them in different small, tiny garages and say, you, you cannot come out until you design a fantastic sports car. You can't come out until you do another one that's different. And then mm. we can get a raft of these amazing sports cars from Ford, except for instead of one every 10 years or so. You may very well say I couldn't possibly comment. It's just I'm just an ideas guy. I'm putting it out there. Uh, one of the things I like, uh, according to this autocar article, is it says notably the other rear, rear seats have been removed. Uh, name of weight in the name of weight shaving. <laughs> Don't think that's the name. It's in there. Yeah, mind. Uh, the front seats are swapped for track ready Recaro buckets and the rotary dial, build plaque, and paddle shifters are all 3D printed using titanium recovered from retired F-22 fighter jets. Freedom! Bald eagles, etc. That's where I feel marketing got involved. It is, but isn't that wonderful way for marketing to get involved? If that's the biggest interference that marketing put in this, was to say, well, let's make sure it's from jet fighters, then that's awesome. I'll take that over... Oh, but it'll know your mood and change the music. No, don't do that. Do the other bit. Do the do the. No, no, no. It will present you with. Uh, it will present you with offers from selected partners. Yeah, don't get no. Don't start that again. Yay! It's good show. It's advertising. Everyone, uh, not the that. Sorry, that's not the Ford GTD. That's <coughs> Skoda. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the stories we didn't include. But I decided no. we'd include it anyway because his reaction is funny, but also because it angers me. Let's take us to something that won't anger us at all. I can't anger anyone. It's lovely. Yes. This is the Fiat Panda 4x4 Resto mod from Niels Van Roy. We've covered some of his work previously. Mm. We love what he does um, and the care and attention that he takes with everything. But this Panda, please do click on both links in the show notes. There's one from Niels' own LinkedIn page, and there's one from Piston Heads. And just... Look at the pictures. I I want it. I want to take it home and care for it and love it and will always be mine. <laughs> it it's not that outrageous for a resto mod either. Well, to be honest, if you're going to buy a Fiat Panda four x four Sicily and completely refurbish it, you're not going to be far off twenty something thousand anyway. So that this comes in at thirty thousand. I mean, thirty thousand euros. That's that's not bad, is it? I don't no. think so. No. And I bet in that price, Alan, you can fix the one grumble you have. Oh, and yeah, you yeah. really are picking. You're, you're having to be very nitpicky to point this out. I'm countering. Well, it's mentioned in the articles, but I'm countering Neil's choice, or, or or whoever commissioned its choice, in that they have clear indicators on the front and the side. And I would prefer it if it had gingicators still, but I know that they would also 
break up the lovely pale blue paintwork and then an orange blue opposite side of the color wheel, etc. But I, I would, I don't know. It just looks a little odd with clear front indicators. I love it though. I, I wouldn't kick it out of bed for farting. No, it's mm. amazing. Yeah, do click the link on the show notes for that one because it is very special. Mm-hmm. Right, Alan, do you want to talk about, um, well, culling? Is this, the third, is this the third story this, this today? Uh, yeah, so uh, Jaguar is going to basically get rid of its entire range very soon so that it can have a completely clean sheet relaunch in 2025. But that also includes the iPace. So you, we're, we, know, we know they're going to get rid of the internal combustion engine, don't we? Yes. But uh, so one of the things you'll notice I say completely clean sweep, that, that does, as Andrew just, has just said, include the iPace. Uh, previously, the, uh, the previous CEO, Thierry Bollori, had said that the iPace would probably be made better and better and uh, it would remain on sale and possibly even have a second generation. The new CEO, Adrian Mardell, has said, no, nah, it's, it's not. Uh, nobody's committed to firm end dates because I guess you want a firm launch date for your new vehicles before you do that. Although, you know, who knows? This first new era car uh, will be in late 2024, launch in tw- will be uh, revealed in late 2024, launched in 2025. So I would imagine somewhere between late 2024 and 2025 is when everything is going to to disappear. Yeah, have you seen the quote from Mardell when he's talking about, he said, Jaguar needs his own bespoke architecture, which is going to be called JEA, to allow for exuberant proportions. That worries me. I just hate the thought of it, to be honest. I, I'm, I, I'm prepared to be, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 are we going to get something that is grotesque, as interesting and uh, has captured the imagination of the public and um, those reviewing cars as the Defender, or are we going to get the latest discovery? That's my worry. It, which which of those are we going to go along the lines of in Jaguar form? I I think exuberant guides me away from it being the super anonymous defend, um, Discovery 5. Mm. What I'm worried is that exuberant can also mean all the styling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what scares me. Because Jaguar is meant to be luxury, isn't it? It's going to be luxury going forward. Yeah, but I bet they're going to go E-type. Oh. I bet you that it's okay. going to be something which is inspired by the E-Type or something like that. that. That's where my money is is going on this. If you're going for exuberant proportions, okay, yeah, with that great long bonnet, mm-hmm. weird overhang, hopefully not an overly narrow track, because I'm not a wonderful fan of the E-Type, really. No, it's okay. I'm glad I've driven one, but... I, yeah, that, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'd, I'd rather have an XJS, thank you. Yeah. I, I feel that that's where this one's going to go. Okay. Again, always happy to be proven wrong when I'm being a pessimistic sod. Yeah. And again, you know, as we say, and we have said repeatedly about JLR, which is probably why we put the boot in so much, we want them to succeed. They are oh, yeah. incredibly is. important to the UK it's, and to the car industry. It, it, it absolutely is that, by the way. I, there was something mm-hmm. that came up recently, I said, and I was saying how much I, I would love to, I would love to have the faith in owning a, a Land Rover product. 
I would love to. I would love to have a Range Rover of almost any, uh, of almost any generation. Uh, I really like the new Defender. I just don't know. I want the ownership experience. Um, once I once I bought it, mm. there, there's so many flaws in in that. Uh, it seems to me so. Yeah, yep. I, I'd love to own one, but there, there ain't no way at the minute. Uh, I will take us to the last bit of new new car news, and this is um, there's two things connected here. First is that Vauxhall has launched a five year PCP offer on their electric models, which mm-hmm. I think tells a big tale. People will have seen the shock and surprise at the price of electric Astras when th- that information came clear. Uh, this is one way that Vauxhall feel or Stellantis feel they can combat the requirements that they've come to for their pricing whilst openly saying they're squeezing everyone except for mm-hmm. themselves on this five years PCP oh that worries me so so much so that's five year PCP on for example a Corsa electric at 9.9 APR what might me chuckle yeah 9.9 APR so you've got a Corsa electric pre-facelift Ultimate 100 kilowatt, 136 metric horsepowers. On the road price, £35,730. I can hear the screaming from here. Then the next line down in this example, which is on uh, Stellantis' own page, is uh, £6,500 of Vauxhall Finance Deposit Contribution or Discount. I think that's called. Mm. And then the customer puts down £1,903. And then that means credit of £27,327 and interest charges of £10,334. So ultimately, this this Corsa is going to cost you 46000 and a bit. And then what is the guaranteed future value after four, five years, though? Uh, ten grand, And that's 6,000 miles that, yeah, that's that's only six thousand a six thousand miles a year o- over sixty months. Um, I mean, obviously, ask. I mean, if you really want that, then yeah, if you're going to keep your car for five years, if you're going to keep within that, but that seems like an expensive way to get into an expensive car mm-hmm. to me. Uh, it's four hundred and sixty nine pounds a month as well. You pay your money, you take your chance, I suppose. Uh, and I'm sure you yep. can, you know, change that by changing your, your your deposit amount, but it is a PCP. Bon courage. But tied to that was an article that was in Autocar uh, this week, where the industry has started calls for urgent support as electric car uptake slows. Now, this is something we are battling every month, um, and we have discussed every month because we cannot see a clear picture. Hmm. What is the actual real demand? Or for EVs, is it there? Will it be there next year to the levels required? Well, mm-hmm. we know we, that can be manufactured mm. because with the, at the minute there's either articles going, no one's buying EVs, the industry's doomed, or yeah. it's the other extreme, which is we can't get enough EVs on the road. There's so much demand, it's ridiculous. It's brilliant. Obviously, the truth is somewhere in between. But where? I think it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer, model to model. Mm. In all honesty, I, I think that some brands are having a much, much harder time of it than others. I think that the brands that are potentially having a harder time are the brands that traditionally have sold into fleets 
the fleets have already brought bought from newer brands, newer yep. EV brands, which mm. were offering a good deal because their demand is slumping. And so I, I think I, I think that the, the the traditional fleet selling brands are having trouble because everybody's already bought EVs. They've either bought EVs from that brand or they've bought EVs from somewhere else, which is even worse. Yeah. And I think it's going to be three, four years before we actually see a clear picture. And that's quite a long way away. Just because yeah. we need to see when people are refreshing, if they rebuy from the same brand or if they go back to companies they know uh, and have used in the past, that kind of thing. I, I think that the, the the replacement fleet decisions are going to be are going to be tough. And if I was a traditional manufacturer like, for example, Vauxhall, I would be courting the living heck out of fleet managers at yep. this point and being the loveliest, nicest, most approachable <laughs> here. Why don't you try one of these? They're really good, actually. Uh, and you'll probably find that, you know, I'm here. I'm a human. I'm not going to be disappearing uh, whenever X brand becomes unfashionable. Uh, or mm. whenever you've, whenever there are lots and lots of problems, look, we're here. We've got actual dealers, people who can help you, and all, all over the country, uh, without weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting, uh, that kind of stuff. So that that's where I would be going if I was a fleet person at an established plant that's maybe having trouble flogging its EVs. Yeah, what won't be helping anybody is the really very silly um, amounts of negative press that just regurgitate myths and nonsense that's oh there's some complete cow poop um from um from the the from the 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 usual gutter press Mm. um you can imagine the outlets whether that's a broadsheet or not (laughs) well yes yes it's the usual look 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 get us all our clicks it's clickbait and sort of clickbait for old people as well um Mm. on the, the, the on the print versions Yes, very difficult. Not really very helpful when one part of the paper is saying one thing and that, and the motoring section is saying something very different as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, I think that's all the new new car news this week. Do you want to take us on to Designer's Mood Board? Well, yes, Designer's Mood Board. We start with the sad one, of course. Uh, as I'm sure many of you are aware, the former head of British Leyland Design and Styling, uh, Harris Mann, died at the age of 85 during the week obviously most famous for i'm going to say the original concept uh behind the allegro the princess the tr7 uh etc he was a a very nice it seemed everybody says how nice he was because he was also a lecturer at coventry mm. at university on the design course there and everyone said what a nice guy he was and also i think it's appreciated much more now that what he actually designed was often many miles away from what actually was produced. The original vision was very, very different from what uh, management and engineering and manufacturing uh, were actually prepared to to build at the time. There's a, a, an excellent uh, obituary and article covering his career and life, uh, which is linked in the show notes, so do please go and uh, click that. Uh, thoughts obviously with his family and friends yes uh, yes the that ar online uh, article is 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 very very interesting 
other designers move more news. There's actually two stories this week. Yes, this is the news that Ben Payne has been appointed the new vice president of design for Lotus, or for the Lotus Group. Less than a year ago, we were talking about him as the role of uh, chief creative officer at Lotus Tech Creative Center. Um, but now he is uh, he has been stepped up uh, a place, taking over from where Peter Horbury, yep. uh, who obviously we discussed recently with his untimely passing. Points of interest then. Let's, mm-hmm. let's move on to, to something that a little lighter. This week's lunchtime read is uh, from Haggerty, and it's uh, Paul Cowlin's column, uh, and it's called "The Price Is Right: The Art of a Good Haggle." And it's it's yeah, it's it's Paul talking about you know just how to get the best price, uh, how to um, you know when I guess you're buying or, or, or I just assume when you're when you're selling, uh, and yep. and just just how to. How to deal with people as well. Yeah, and, and how to do it in such a manner that you might actually want to deal with each other in the future mm-hmm. again. Paul is one of the nicest people in the whole of cars. Feels like the world, done. but definitely yeah. cars. <laughs> yes, yeah. So so it's, it's worth, a, worth a little read. Worth a little read. Yeah, good one. Definitely, it, like it is one. a cracker. Right, I'm going to take us to list of the week. Uh-huh. Um, we've got another fairly chunky list, and this is from Autocar. It's a slideshow. And cue Alan moaning about the slideshow breaking. Yeah, it's, but this it's is titled again. "The Simplest Cars Ever Made." Okay, Alan, it's your choice. Where where are we landing? Because there's there's so many here that I think you could have picked. Oh, there so are many. Uh, so there's. Uh, I've just managed to crash it because Autocar slideshow. I'm going to choose the Citroen Two CV because when there's a list of simplest cars, Citroen Two CV uh, generally wins. Because there's simple, uh, because there's not much in it, which is some of the examples there. Mm. And there's simple because every detail has been thought through, has been refined, and has been optimized so that there is as little as possible involved to make what it was that you wanted to make. And the 2CV, 2CV does that, of course. And those of us who have an undying love of the 30mm ratchet spanner, uh, have probably worked on a, a Citroen 2CV. Citroen 2CV is my choice. And the 2CV, by the way, I, I regard as actually simpler than a Mahari. Uh, the reason being that the Mahari has quite a complex uh, steel frame underneath the glass fibre body. So it is actually not as simple and not as pared back as the, the 2CV, in my humble opinion. There we go. That's me. Do you have one that you're going to, to choose, Andrew? There are many, so I think we can get away with that oh, without really difficult. people grumbling. Really, because the, the, the ranges in years, uh, really up to virtually today, um, mm. they have managed to find some examples that, are, um, that continue that across the theme of simple. There's some, there's some of them I just don't agree with, to be honest, but others that I, I do. Okay. Well, that's I know, I know what my way. second choice was. Well, I'm picking, um, I'm going slightly more luxurious and I'm picking the Renault 4. It's just a copycat. Do you know a much cleverer Renault? It's also in the list here. So we'll pick three. And that's the Dacia, the original generation Dacia logo. That is so clever. So clever. And again, it's the same thinking as the 2CV. It's because everything's been looked at and gone, oh, I wonder how we can make this simpler. Like mm. the same door handle all round and the same 
window glass all round and all that kind of stuff. Suspension components, a lot. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's enough of my. There's others there that are simple, yes, but they are. There is just nothing to them, really. That's why. Yeah. But do you want to take us to the and finally? The and finally this week actually was one that you suggested for me to watch. And lo, I did. And I can't wait for hopefully the conclusion to come out at some point. So this is this is uh, YouTube, uh, and we're, we're going to link to the whole playlist uh, for... Uh, it's by C90 Adventures. So C as in the letter C, uh, and then 90 in numbers, and then Adventures uh, on YouTube. And it's, uh, will the mini Jeep make it to Moab? It's a thousand miles off-road in essentially a toy petrol-powered Jeep thing, Jeep alike. Yes. I mean, it says, terrible idea, and mini Jeep are in the thumbnail with pointers to a very British person sitting in this tiny thing. And it's it's well worth watching. I mean, he releases the videos about as regularly as a Bad Obsession Motorsport. Oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> It's getting there. I think they've. I think actually, um, actually, they've released a, a a video within five months. So the last episode of this that was released was released five months ago. There's still one more to go. Uh, it might appear at some point. The reason for the gaps is because he has to actually go to work in between times. There is a five, but he hasn't put it in the playlist. Oh, is there? Yeah, oh. it came out two months ago. I must work. Uh, oh, okay. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm one behind then. Is the five the conclusion? I haven't watched it all the way through yet. I don't know. Oh, okay. Right, right. Okay. So, so we're all in this together, everyone. But it's, it's so worth watching. It's so worth watching. It's great. F- it's first really of all, good. I thought it was going to be an American when I Me first too. clicked on this. And I thought, okay, is this going to be fun American or is this going to be not fun American? And it turns out he's British. So that made me watch a bit longer because I was thinking, what is a, what is a lunatic Brit doing Mm. this for um but then as you experience the engineer you know, the things to keep it going and who he meets and the surprise the the shock the awe the uh the, the fantastic laughing in his scenery. face well yeah and then you've got where he's going is is just amazing so do if you have five lunch times and they <laughs> run longer than half an hour <laughs> Or just longer, yeah. Uh, so I have actually watched all five. It's just the fifth one isn't in the playlist, so I'm still waiting for the sixth. Yeah. There we go. So I have obviously uh, liked and subscribed and done all the things that you should do with YouTubers that you appreciate and like the work of. So yep. yeah, really good, that. Really enjoyable. Blimey, we've gone long today. We have, and part of the reason we've managed to go long is because the builders haven't started hammering outside yet and it's half past eight in the morning here that's a win as far as i'm concerned uh no parish notes i don't think uh we have lots of stuff to catch up on that we've got queued up to record but have either recorded not released or not recorded yet so there is more stuff coming we promise yes we we just have to stop thinking up other projects for ourselves Yes. We'll stop other people thinking up projects for ourselves in some cases. If, if life could stop interfering, it would be great. We, yeah, we, we just have plenty get, of things. We've got so much we want to do. But anyway, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, don't forget between now and ne- now and then, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on 
basically all of the socials that old people use and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon. Please leave a review and rate on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Uh, Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is if you search for Crap Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to talk to you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, again, it's uh, probably Twitter or Mastodon or even Instagram, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B R A D L E Y. As I said, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>